Welcome to a special combined radio show between Second Opinion Radio and In Tune to Nature on WRFG Atlanta, Radio Free Georgia, where your hosts, Melody Paris and I, Carrie Freeman, are joined by Atlanta activist Christopher Eubanks. For the next hour, the three of us will be having a conversation about animal rights activism in the COVID-19 era and in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement. For the first part of the hour, we'll concentrate on the pandemic and what messages make sense for animal advocacy and how to be an activist while social distancing. And for the second part of the hour, we'll shift towards a discussion of how animal activists can be allies to human rights causes. So first, let's each introduce ourselves in kind of 60 seconds or less. Christopher, how about you go first? Okay, that sounds great. So I am Christopher Eubanks. Um, some people may know me online as so Eubanks. And I've been vegan for about a little bit over four years now. I started doing activism a couple of years ago, uh, around two and a half years ago. I started doing an internship with the Humane League and started being involved with Anonymous for the Voiceless and the SAVE movement. So now I primarily focus on a lot of the work with the SAVE movement and doing other activism whenever I can. So I do things like uh, attending vigils, I'm conducting vegan outreach. And lately I've been trying to get more involved with um, giving homeless um, people vegan meals and things mm -hmm. of that nature. So that's um, just a quick introduction of who I am. Nice. Uh, Melody Paris. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm Melody Paris. I'm uh, the host of uh, Second Opinion Radio, but I'm also president of Georgia Animal Rights and Protection, which we just call GARP, uh, which is um, our largest nonprofit animal rights organization here in Georgia. But I've been doing animal rights since the 90s, including civil disobedience. Um, but now I, I mainly focus on um, Second Opinion and GARP. Yeah, and we definitely appreciate you um, doing all that work, Melody, <laughs> so, for so many years, so active. Um, Absolutely. I'm Carrie Freeman, one of the hosts of the In Tune to Nature radio show. Uh, I'm an associate professor of communication at Georgia State University, where I study social change advocacy strategy, communication ethics, and media representations of animal and environmental issues. I got involved in the animal rights movement in the early 1990s when I was in college. And I, over the years, I've served as a volunteer leader of several grassroots animal and vegetarian groups in Florida, Georgia, and Oregon. And now I'm proud to be the faculty advisor at GSU for the student animal rights group called the Peace Club, which stands for People for the End of Animal Cruelty and Exploitation. So let's get started. Okay, when the pandemic first became known to the United States, which is around February or March, we learned that it likely originated in a live animal market in Wuhan, China, potentially from a bat being captured and put in close proximity with a variety of other captive animals of other species, including humans. Uh, and as animal rights activists, I think we all went on the offensive in a way to, to highlight these animal or origins of this unfolding public health disaster. Uh, as the trade in animals and farming of them are causing are very common sources of infectious diseases, you know, our current pandemic, but pandemics and epidemics of the past. 
So I wanted to ask, ask you guys, as animal activists, how did you frame this pandemic issue for people in the spring when it first came up? Well, I know personally, it was something that I addressed, but not something that I harped on. Okay. Because I think oftentimes people can misunderstand the point of not abusing animals if you make it not about how animals are treated. So for example, you know, a lot of people are vegan for a lot of different reasons. And that's totally fine. It's totally understandable. But if you, um, one of the reasons that I didn't fixate on saying something like, I think I saw a lot of people saying things like COVID-19 was caused by eating animals. Therefore, we shouldn't eat animals. I think that can be limiting because that makes it, if it wasn't the cause of COVID-19, would that then be a justifiable reason to consume animals? So I wanted to make sure that I walked the fine line of saying, okay, yes, this most likely came from uh, abusing animals and we shouldn't abuse animals, but we shouldn't not only abuse animals because it causes diseases, but also because it's the right thing to do to not abuse animals. So I just make sure to walk a fine line in explaining that, but not harping on the fact that it was caused by COVID-19 and making that correlation as to why people shouldn't abuse animals. Right. How about you, Melody? Yeah, I, I think Chris makes such a good point. Um, although I probably wasn't as smart about it as Chris. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, I really have tried to help people make the connection of uh, between exploiting animals and repercussions of exploiting animals. Um, you know, not just with pandemic, but I mean, there's your health, there's the environment and all those sorts of things as well. Um, and so, yes, I, I totally agree. And I think what he said is great too. We, you know, Obviously, we don't need to abuse or exploit animals, even if they, there were no repercussions. Um, but I guess I took the approach of trying to help people make a connection because, you know, unfortunately, the mainstream media doesn't really talk about it at all. So I actually had a guest on uh, when it first started um, who talked a lot about, he had done actually an article in the sentient media that you introduced me to, Carrie, and he had done a lot of research um, about that. And so I did have him on to talk about that, to have people make a connection, because you know, we as, as humans are so, most of us are so disconnected from non-humans. So I was really hoping to kind of make that connection. And then I also had on a physician who talked about, you know, the health aspects and how, um, eating animals and how that affects your health and the, and the tie into as well as to COVID-19 and other pandemics, but also, um, you know, we did touch on the, the cruelty, but yeah, I really like Chris's approach. And, you know, I, I am always of the mind that you never know what's going to resonate with a person. So as many different approaches as possible, however we get there in whatever circuitous manner, I am all for Right, this is just kind of one more of many reasons we shouldn't be trading animal bodies for food or, or other reasons. 
Um, and actually, I'm, it's interesting that uh, Dr. Greger, who wrote that the popular book, How Not to Die, now has a new book coming out, How Not to Die During a Pandemic. Because mm-hmm. I didn't realize that even I see him as like a vegan, like lifestyle medicine doctor, but he used to be an expert in infectious diseases. And so people mm-hmm. like him and Dr. Asha Akhtar and other people have been talking about this for many years, that, you know, with um, bird flus and swine flus and other kind of zoonotic diseases, they've been trying to raise the alarm. It just hadn't affected as many people before, or at least maybe not in the United States, because it has like with Ebola and other um, uh, areas around the world, they had been affected. But um, so yeah, I think we can go back and kind of say, hey, here's a TED talk from four years ago that talked about these risks. And like, let's start paying attention. We weren't, that didn't resonate with you then. Does it resonate now? (laughs) It should. Um, yeah. And I didn't know also if there were certain hashtags that you guys are using to kind of draw attention or like some clever way you've put, like, I keep trying to find ways to put the word meat with pandemic, like meet the pandemic or something because that I feel like the trade in animal bodies, whether it's for what, like wild animals or for farmed animals is the problem. So I don't know whether to use the word exploitation or captivity or farming or meat, you know, I don't know, Chris, if you've figured out some way to create some hashtags. Um, well, I think I'll just focus on the ones that I've seen that are popular and are used often. Yeah. Um, since those have already a built in right. yes. following. That um, makes sense. But I did see someone I can't remember the exact wording, but they created something where it was like coronavirus and carnivorous. And they played mm. off of those words. And mm-hmm. I, I forget exactly how they did it, but obviously just from the way it sounds, you can tell phonetically they have yeah. virtually all of the same letters. Um, so I wish I could remember exactly how they did that, but that was one of the more clever things that I've seen. Yeah right now like virus or something yeah, yeah 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 oh that's good and okay. i care i absolutely love that meat like m-e-a-t meat the pandemic um, i mean i don't know yeah, it's not perfect but good. it's just a you have to have a pithy way to put them together because right now i've just been doing a lot of separate hashtags like a covid hashtag an animal hashtag you know a meat hashtag a vegan hashtag and like just kind of keeping them together but um i yeah trying I like to find that. ways to let people know that our, um, the meat trade, uh, whether they're wild animals or farmed, you know, domesticated animals is a problem and, you know, and causes pandemics. Let me ask also, since people are getting hospitalized, tens of thousands of people are dying and so many thousands more are losing their livelihoods. And then there's schools and tourism and businesses and political elections are all impacted in an unprecedented shutdown is the public ready to hear about the causes of the virus since it's kind of too late now to prevent COVID-19? Then um, so like, can we, are they not ready to hear about kind of stopping future viruses? I don't know if you guys <laughs> kind of face that, like what's the timing? Do we harp on it now and say, hey, do you know where this came from? We need to rethink the way we're treating other animals or whether we should just let people figure out how to survive this pandemic and make sure they have enough money to survive. And then later afterwards, when there's a vaccine, be like, okay, let's, let's talk about the animal connection. That's um, very, oh, go ahead, Melody. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I think we have to talk about it now um, because, I mean, you know, timing is everything and, you know, it, it is directly related to the pandemic and, yeah. you know, these, the way we exploit animals and it's not just in Asia, which is a whole nother topic of how people were, you know, blaming the, the Chinese. We certainly have plenty of them that were started here as well. Yes. Um, and I think making that connection too, I mean, I think it's the perfect time to talk about it. And, you know, it, and it, you know, as we see the, um, the meat and dairy alternatives, I just saw an article today. I mean, their stock and their value and their sales are going through the roof. I think there's never been a better time to talk about it because we can relate it, you know, to the animal cruelty, uh, but also relate it to the animal cruelty here and also related to health and environment. Um, I, I think there's never been a better time to talk about it. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's never the perfect time to have uncomfortable conversations. You just kind of have to do them when you can. And I think that when people are able to listen and when it's right in the moment, that's when you should do it. I also think that it, I think it's all about how you approach it and how you have the conversation. I think in the same way that when you speak, or I know when I speak to people out in the public or when I'm doing vegan outreach or online, I'm always unapologetic, but I'm also very respectful. Yeah. So I think as long as you are showing that you aren't belittling anyone, talking down to anyone, I think you, I think you can have a respectful, honest, open dialogue with people about what is happening to them right now, the root cause of it, and I think it can be very productive. So yeah, I wholeheartedly agree, Melody. I think right now is the time. And that's a great point that you brought up about the plant-based alternatives skyrocketing in sales. I think that probably wouldn't be happening, one, if there wasn't a shortage of animal products for, for whatever reasons, but also if the conversation wasn't being posed right now. I don't think people would make that connection. So it's a great point. Yeah, and you know, to to add on to that, I mean, we also see in the news the the people who are having to work in these slaughterhouse conditions yes. and what's happening to them. Um, it's a great time to say, I mean, look, humans are, you know, these people are also being exploited uh, alongside the non-human animals. So what a great time to try some alternatives. You know, I, I just I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of many different approaches because you never know what's gonna you know resonate with someone and maybe they make the connection and with uh you know the workers being exploited and they try some products and you know alternatives and they love them they're like why did i why didn't i do that before and it starts them down the road um because everybody doesn't just go straight to vegan as we know it's a it's a windy path for most people and you know if we can just get people trying the products thinking even just thinking about them, you know, I feel like we're doing uh, good things for the animals. Right. There, there is a big opportunity now around that and an opportunity to showcase how ugly the animal farming and animal killing industry is, mm -hmm. how it just is profit oriented at the expense of compassion for anyone who works for them or or the animal victims as well so kind of saying like is this where you want to put your money you know do you want to support this 
um, the, all these uh, vulnerable people who work there are, uh, you know, being put in harm's way all the time. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think those are really good points. I wanted to shift a little bit and talk about how to go about advocating for animals, given all the public health constraints on public activism and face-to-face -face socializing during the pandemic. Like, for example, Chris used to do vigils at slaughterhouses with the SAVE movement, and then you had a lot of cubes of truth public video demonstrations with Anonymous for the Voiceless. Have those public events stopped or what are you doing instead? So that's a great question. So this month, July, is the first time we've actually done activism since the pandemic hit. This is the first time that we've actually gotten back out into doing street activism okay. was because of all of the concerns. So we recently had a, um, a square which is essentially a cube of truth is just under the save movement. So we had our first one of those last week. And I think one of the things that was definitely important to me and the other organizer was to lead by example and make sure that we were staying in tune with everything that counties and cities and states were saying. So our latest square, we had everyone um, wear masks and if you didn't wear masks you know we told people that you probably wouldn't be able to participate because right. it was a city ordinance so yeah we definitely are just now getting back into the habit of it but as we all know the numbers are starting to increase again <clears throat> excuse me so that may slow down next month depending on how uh, at risk we feel people could be coming out to events. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a fine line, but you know, staying and uh, just connected to, you know, the recent uh, mandates and also leading by example. Um, and also just knowing that, you know, although those types of events have stopped, there are other types of activism that you can do that doesn't have to necessarily involve you going out and being out in the public. You can still advocacy and different methods. Yeah, because even like going out into the public, even in a safe like environment where you're trying to distance yourself, uh, you know, six feet and the masks and all that, isn't it still hard to find groups of people? Because that's what we would normally do. If you did a table, it would be at an event where there was lots of people. Or if you did a cube of truth, it would be in a popular place like a little five points or something where there's lots of passersby. So where could you go now since there's not groups of people anymore? unless they're standing six feet apart in some line, like to get tested or something. I mean, I just like where, that's another problem with, with kind of the outdoor activism. I will say one thing that is really a good right now for this is the, um, are the visuals because with the visuals, we had one this past weekend and those are events where typically you are three to six feet apart just in general. So, okay the fact that we were able to spread out and it's actually the place where we conduct our vigils. Uh, for those that don't know, the vigils are when you go outside of a slaughterhouse and you protest there and you hope to document the animals going in to share the footage and share their stories. You know, sometimes we kind of give them water as just a last mm. act of kindness for them. But yeah, typically those are very spread out. So that's one of the types of activism that although we still are very um, very cautious about having people out and about, 
you can definitely right. attend vigils and keep that space from people. And then are you, are you guys taking a lot of pictures or some videos too, especially if you're interacting with the, the chickens or the pigs before they're killed? Um, and then you can post that on social media. So just in case there's not that many people who are there to see you at the slaughterhouse, you have the video to show the interactions also in a safe way. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the goal. All the, the slaughterhouse where we attend, we typically don't see trucks. Um, they just come at weird times, not at times when people are going to be out and about. But yeah, the goal is to see that footage and share it. So that's a, that's one of the things that's so great about a visual is because it typically does benefit the animals more when you share the footage. You know, at the moment, when you're there, you're protesting, you're not seeing as many eyes or as, not as many eyes are on you. But when you share this footage, that's when it typically either goes viral or a lot more eyes see it. So that, that is the goal. Yeah. And Melody, I'm going to have you, we're going to take a break first and then we'll continue with, uh, with this discussion. So we, before we get into the second half of our joint show between Second Opinion Radio and In Tune to Nature, Let's take a break for some announcements and a reminder to send in a donation to support this commercial-free, independent radio-free Georgia station at the website wrfg.org. Stay tuned. Welcome back to a special combined radio show between Second Opinion Radio and In Tune to Nature on WRFG Atlanta, Radio Free Georgia where your radio host Melody Paris and I, Carrie Freeman, longtime vegans and animal activists in Atlanta, are joined by a fellow vegan animal activist of the younger generation, Christopher Eubanks of Anonymous for the Voiceless in the Atlanta Save Movement. Uh, for this last part of the show, the three of us are gonna be discussing how the animal rights activists uh, in Atlanta or in general can be allies to human rights causes. But I wanna finish up our discussion we were having before about how to be an activist during the pandemic. Uh, and Chris was sharing some of his ideas that they've been doing with Anonymous for the Voiceless and the Save movement and how you've been managing during the kind of social distancing. And so Melody, I wanted you to just share also what Georgia Animal Rights and Protection is doing because normally you did a lot of demonstrations, you hosted speakers and social events and that's kind of difficult. So what is GARP doing now to still be active? Yeah, so we, we've basically been um, doing more kind of social media stuff and, you know, still working on animal issues, uh, but really kind of bringing pressure for change um, just through like email and calling campaigns. We just worked on a case, a fox trapping case here in Atlanta where a uh, school had set uh, traps to trap and kill foxes oh, no. um, on the school property. And so we, you know, we reached out, we're trying to work directly with the principal and, um, you know, eventually we had to launch a calling and email campaign, which, you know, those things are very successful. Uh, you know, with GARP, we always try to reach out to the person or organization and just educate them and try to, you know, give them the information so that they can hopefully change what they're doing that is hurting animals. And, and, and a lot of times that is very successful. Sometimes, um, you know, it needs a little more pressure applied. So we do that. 
Um, and that was a great one because they, in less than 24 hours after we began our calling and email campaign from the community, um, they removed the traps. Wow. And then, yeah, so we're really, really pleased about that. It was within about six hours they decided uh, that, that it was time for those traps to go. So that's really good. Um, yeah, and then most recently we've been working on, you know, and nobody had to go out there, but people could still make a difference. And, I, you know, I was just talking with one of our volunteers earlier today, and she said, you know, it, it's so, you know, you feel so powerful when you can make a difference. And sometimes it's just a call or an email to let someone know how you feel. Um, and so now we're working on a, a recent issue here in Atlanta that you may have seen on the news with the Canada geese who were poisoned um, mm. at an apartment complex. So we're working closely with that. And, you know, we may start a, a calling email campaign if necessary, but really that's kind of been our go-to. We, you know, we, there, we were contacted um, by another group and I know you know him uh, very well, Chris, um, Trey, Mor Trey Morrow. Yes. And mm -hmm. so he is, he and his group are, are working on a protest here in Atlanta in August at, at Yerkes uh, primate facility at Emory. So we're trying to help out with that. I don't know how it's gonna go because with a protest like that, I mean, the goal is to have a lot of people and as Chris was saying earlier, I mean, with the numbers and COVID, I don't know how that's going to work out. But, um, you know, we can it's still spread all out. Very, yeah, I mean, but we can still be very, very powerful with our voices just by making a phone call, sending an email. Um, those are very powerful techniques. And, you know, everybody knows who PETA is and they employ those techniques quite well. Um, and so that's what we, we've been doing. And, um, you know, sometimes people think, oh, well, I mean, I can't make a difference, but everybody can make a difference. And those small little things make a big difference when it comes to life or death for these animals. Yeah. And I, I've been wondering too, as the faculty advisor for the student animal rights group Peace Club at Georgia State, I'm going to have a meeting with some of the ladies who are the students who run the group. And we're kind of thinking about, okay, what are we going to do next year? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. What are we going to do? Because normally we're always like bringing students together with free food and all this vegan food. And I just don't think the campus is going to want us to do that as much. And so, um, but one thing I was just interviewing Lauren Arnellis of the Food Empowerment Project. We were talking about like environmental racism in the food industry and for, for the In Tune to Nature radio show. And then I was realizing like that, oh, she, I invited her to do like a webinar with our group. So, cause I'm seeing more of that. Whereas normally we would have thought, oh, Lauren Arnellis, this great vegan food justice activist lives in California. So she can't come and talk to our group cause that would cost too much money to bring her out here. And it would be weird to have her just like, Zoom has become, and these kind of video conferences are normalized now. Whereas before I think people would have thought, well, I don't know. I don't want to just see her on Skype, like if she's not coming to campus. But now I think it's kind of different. And we could actually have anybody <laughs> around the world be a speaker because, so that's kind of exciting because we can now use Zoom to, and that's maybe a no, more normal and accepted way to share information and get together. Mm -hmm. I don't I agree. Really have any other <laughs> ideas for our group, but I'm just thinking we used to do so many like tables and food events. And I just don't know 
um, you know, how we can do that anymore. Even though I, just, I still think the students can do like a meetup at a restaurant and just do it takeout and then eat it like in a park or something instead of together. Cause they would do that. They would meet up. The students want to make friends, you know, with the other vegetarians or animal activists. So they would meet up at a restaurant. So now mm -hmm. you can just do it in like a take as a, to support vegan restaurants. Um, and then you could do it takeout or something like that. Yeah. I think um, those are all great ideas. I think some of the things that we've also been doing is, well, I know something that I recently did was change a lot of my apparel. So a lot of my clothing now is animal rights related. Um, mm, yeah. You can still do leafleting, a leafleting. Like yeah. You have some plastic gloves on and hand out flyers. And, you know, you can do that by yourself. You can do chalktivism. You know, if a couple yeah. of students want to get together and do some chalktivism on campus, that could be True. great. Yeah. Uh, so still a lot of great things to do. You just kind of got to think outside the box a little bit. It seems like y'all kind of already started that trend. Yeah. And, and speaking of, uh, to give us some other context for things that are happening, uh, we've been talking about how to be an activist during the pandemic. An additional context for activism this summer is, of course, the impressive revival of the Black Lives Matter movement as a response to George Floyd's murder, which was the only news story big enough to overshadow the pandemic news this summer. Uh, the outrage over police violence also overcame some of the social distancing protocol and got people out together on the streets, although most people were wearing masks and different things. But given the prominence and importance of this racial justice moment, where the Black Lives Matter movement is experiencing a groundswell of much needed attention and support, how can animal rights activists show sincere support for the Black Lives Matter movement without using it just to pivot to an animal rights issue or seeming like you're doing it for self-interested purposes? I think one of the things can be to, you know, listen to people in both spaces or um, that are experiencing both forms of that, those battles. So, you know, whether it's uh, black vegan activists, um, mm -hmm. listening to more of their stories, you know, sharing more of their stories. Um, and just like you said, you know, you definitely don't want to ever appear to hijack a movement. So I know one yeah, of the things hijack, that I- good word. Yeah, I, I almost exclusively never, well, yeah, I never compare suffering. It's just something that I think it marginalizes both beings and both uh, groups of individuals that are experiencing their suffering. So I don't compare, I would never compare the Holocaust to the transatlantic slave trade. And I would never compare what animals go through, through um, in comparison to, you know, what black people in America and around the world have gone through. So I think just keeping that in mind to not compare, just listen mm -hmm. to people, listen to people that have, a unique uh, experience and a unique perspective because I think one of the things that we have been seeing, I've been seeing in the, the vegan community and the animal rights community is that a lot more black voices and people of color have gotten more of a, um, a spotlight because of this, because they have such a unique perspective in both spaces. They can speak on some of the experience of fighting and advocating for animals and also what it's been like to be a black person in America. So mm -hmm. highlighting those voices and listening to them and giving them opportunities um, and just, you know, standing in solidarity with them, using your platform to share them, to talk about these issues and broaden the, um, 
the scope of the conversation to people who may not have originally thought about it in a way. Um, or you, if you have an audience, you can introduce that topic and that conversation to them um, in a way that they may not have thought about it before. Right. So people like uh, Christopher Sebastian McJetters and AFCO and Breeze Harper, um, who are people of color within the animal rights movement, uh, and they make a lot of connections between various types of oppression. This is a good chance to make sure that other people get to know them and hear their insights. Maybe people uh, who haven't, you know, heard them before. Absolutely. Yeah, and Melody, how like I don't know how GARP has if you've been able to do anything to show solidarity or to put out a statement. A lot of groups are also just putting out statements about uh, the importance of um, racial justice. Yeah, we yeah I don't know we've struggled with it, and I'm you know I'm happy to hear what Christopher said because you know we you know we didn't feel comfortable kind of like we don't definitely don't want to compare the two um right and at the same time you know we i don't know it's just it, we felt really torn should we bring it up on the GARP page because then does it look like we're trying to compare i don't know um but now that i hear christopher talk about it i you know i'm getting ideas of maybe maybe what we could do is just feature certain people yeah. Um, and let them talk about it because I think that would be a lot more genuine coming, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, because I'm not a person of color, so I can't, I, you know, obviously I, I can't speak to that. Um, but I think it would be great to feature people um, and let them talk about it in their perspective. And I think that I like that idea and I think that's what we'll do. Yeah, because you, right, everybody is coming out with a statement, and even though it probably is sincere, sometimes maybe you think, oh, I don't know if it'll come across as insincere, but, and I, I was also going to mention, like, in general, it's, it's, like, last year or the year before that, the Me Too movement of, against gender inequity and sexual harassment um, experienced so much attention last year, and so the question then and now is, should other causes put their issues on the back burner to some extent and stand in solidarity, whether it's with the uh, Me Too movement, the feminist movement, or with Black Lives Matter movement now, um, when th those movements are having their moment and they need all kinds of momentum to make needed gains. And like, also like how long should you hold back and let them have the spotlight would be another question. So I, I That's think- a good, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Melody. Oh, no, no, go ahead, Christopher. <clears throat> I was going to say, I think you can do both. So I think you can, you know, definitely not put your cause on the back, but also, uh, you know, use your platform to help the, the other movements that you're trying to support. And I think it should be something that, you know, if it's genuine, I think it'll just be a part of how you operate. I know I was speaking to someone recently from a, animal rights organization and that's what I was telling them to just you know if you're going to do something just make sure that it's almost like a um, a regular way of how you operate so just make sure that you keep an open line of communication with people that you are reaching out to just don't make it you know uh, a one-time scenario where you just kind of reach out to someone once and that's it just kind of try to build a rapport and and, uh, and establish a, re a relationship with them so that it's genuine 
and it just doesn't seem like you're just capitalizing on the moment. Yeah. And it, yeah, and I, I'm glad you said that because that, I, you know, it is, I, that was the thing. It's like, you know, you don't want to feel like you're just jumping on, you know, and saying something because everybody's saying something. You want it to be genuine. And, you know, for people who are not people of color, it, there's a lot of fear around, you know, saying the wrong thing. I mean, to be very honest, you don't want to say the wrong thing and then you don't want to not say something. It's, you know, so it, it's hard. And I do think, I like what you said though, Christopher. I mean, it, it shouldn't just be a one-time thing. It, in order for it to be genuine, it's got to become part of what you do. So I think that's really good insight. And I think that I've noticed during the Me Too movement and even and now too, it's also an opportunity for the animal rights movement to do some self-reflection. So, so we are improving the movement more internally, not necessarily externally, because normally we're always working externally, like letting everybody else know about animal rights. But during the Me Too movement, it was like, hey, what about, you know, patriarchy and um, sexual harassment within, you know, the ranks of all these animal organizations? And now it's also becoming, you know, a good time to have an overdue discussion about, you know, the animal quote, quote unquote, animal rights movement, um, or the idea that that animal rights or animal protection organizations tend to be more of a white space. And while they might not be white supremacists, they still may not be as inclusive as they think they are, you know, and so this is a chance to actually have more of a dialogue about racial inclusion and true diversity and leadership, you know, within our movement as well. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think I've been seeing more of that lately. Now that you, um, well, even before you mentioned it, I've definitely noticed that a lot of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of conversations. And like I was saying earlier, you know, it's never the perfect time to have an uncomfortable conversation, but it has to be had. So, you know, this is, right when it's happening, right when we see another social justice movement gaining steam, um, it would behoove of us to think about, hey, why, why don't people feel like they are included in our movement? And just, you know, I don't think it has to be something where you beat yourself up about it. You could just acknowledge it and, you know, going forward and say, you know what, um, maybe we can do things differently. Maybe we're, yes. um, maybe we weren't thinking about a certain perspective now that it's brought to our attention. Okay, let's let's address it. So I think it can be done genuinely without um, just making it just seem like it's something just spur of the moment one time. Yeah, it can be. It's not punitive so much as about a growth opportunity to recognize you know where you need to improve and how we can build strength as a movement, kind of with more unity. Yeah. Um, and with the few minutes we had left, I have kind of some specific questions that are like about, okay, if you, let's say, because there's been so many racial justice protests, how as a, like a vegan and an animal activist, can you help out? Like you can either just be, you can either donate money or march, um, and then nobody really knows maybe there's a connection that you also are an animal activist, but do you think it would make, it makes sense to provide vegan food so that you're making like a connection between what you normally do and this movement. So provide vegan food at a Black Lives Matter um, protest to the demonstrators or, or, you know, something like that. Or, or Chris, I noticed you mentioned earlier that you're providing vegan food to the homeless. So, um, or is it, 
or is it better to just say, no, let me just give money or just go march and not wear any shirt that kind of says that I'm animal rights or vegan and let it, let it always be like just a Black Lives Matter shirt and I'm 100% doing this and not you know, mentioning the animal connection. So I think one of the things that I've noticed is that I think you can do both. So I think you can actually, you know, support the Black Lives Matter movement while staying consistent with an anti-oppression um, towards animal um, mission. Because what I've noticed is that there are so many Black vegan vendors that I have a, um, a few pieces of apparel from them. I recently just bought a sweater that said um, that says Black Vegans Matter, mm-hmm. and I would totally feel comfortable, you know, wearing that to a a protest or a march. And even, you know, I know that I think both of you all know um, Gray, the, the rapper. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gray. You know, uh, a lot of his yeah. apparel, the plant-based dripping apparel. You know, that's a, a Black-owned mm-hmm. entity, and I think that's totally appropriate to wear at um, at these events. So I think. And it's a great opportunity to, you know, find those niche um, people creating, uh, whether it's clothing or services that cater to both and support them and, and use that whenever you either, uh, either attend a rally or buy something online, whatever way you choose to support. I think you can, if you can find those that are doing both of what you want to support, um, and there's so many of them that I think that's a great way of doing it. That's a good idea. Like black vegan vendors who um, are, are making vegan cookies or slutty vegan, um, wearing a slutty vegan shirt or something like, okay, that's a female, a black female owned local business, you know? And so as a way to make connections or that Ewe Fresh, I like that uh, organization too, that's a female black owned business that, um, makes all kinds of skincare products from, from produce and, and um, natural, natural, you know, herbs and things like that. And so like finding ways to support those businesses and maybe even sharing that in the community. Um, Cause I have seen also a groundswell of support for black owned businesses and buying black. So mm-hmm. then we can support buying black and vegan um, here in Atlanta and nationally. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've been doing it. So yeah, I, uh, I think it's a great way to introduce people to things they may not have seen or heard or didn't know about. Yeah, I think so too. That's that's a good and the, idea. The great news: there's so many uh, options now. I mean, yeah, like it's so nice to see. I mean, I would say it seems like the majority of new vegan restaurants are black-owned. It's and they're so good, and there's so many of them. Yeah, I mean, I was just at uh, one today picking up lunch and I mean it's just they're so and then we have soul vegetarian which has been around forever classic Uh yeah so finding ways to support because in general also we want to support our black or or, our vegan restaurants in general and Mm -hmm. because all businesses right now are struggling and so it's like oh we're making a, a you know an effort to go to herbivore and soul veg or or um sunflower cafe and different things and so, um, yeah, but now we can be thinking also which ones are um, minority owned businesses, actually, which I think a lot of those are that I just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's like a great place if you have to give a gift or do anything, um, then go to those businesses, give them your business and tell other people about them. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, we have run out of time, so that's our show for today. But I want to thank my co-host, Melody Paris of Second Opinion Radio and Christopher Eubanks of Anonymous for the Voiceless. How can people get in touch with each of you to find out about advocacy opportunities in Atlanta? Chris? Uh, okay, well, so we have a Facebook group that's called uh, Atlanta Animal Activists, and you can follow us on there. We, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so we post once a month, at the beginning of the month, all of the events for the month that we are going to do. Um, and outside of that, if you just want to contact me personally, you can go to my website, soulubanks, that's S-O-U-L-E-U-B-A-N-K-S, and I try to, that's a good way to contact me if you want to know about anything that's happening in Atlanta or any events that I'm um, working on or participating in. That's great. And Melody, what about with, with GARP or Second Opinion Radio? Yeah, so the uh, GARP mainly posts on um, Facebook, which is the facebook.com forward slash GARP Atlanta. Um, and then of course we have an email list and you can always message to get on there. We send out the legislative alerts and things like that. And then for Second Opinion Radio, um, of course, Facebook page as well, secondopinionradio.com. Um, uh, I'm sorry, facebook.com forward slash secondopinionradio. Um, or people can always email me um, at melody at gartga.org. Um, and I'd love to hear from people. That's great. And for me, I'm Carrie Freeman, and you can follow the Facebook page for In Tune to Nature, and you could message me there. I also have another Facebook, Facebook page called Animals and Media, and that's another way to reach out to me. And to our listeners, I want to thank you all for listening to Radio Free Georgia. And I do hope that if you think this is important perspectives that you're hearing, important topics we're sharing, that you'll donate what you can afford to this independent nonprofit radio station via the website wrfg.org. We definitely can use the funds. I want to thank you. Take care of yourself and others, including other species. Goodbye. <laughs>